Ah, turn to the book of Ephesians. What we're doing is uh, taking some time out to ask the question, who are we, what do we believe, what do we stand for, and where are we going? So I'm covering these seven core values of Woodland Hills Church. We've covered the first four uh, in the previous weeks, and we're going to cover probably another one today, (laughs) Uh, I I suspect. Ephesians chapter 2, and let me just read this passage. Lord, help that child out there in the hall who is clearly not happy with the universe at this moment. Starting with verse 14. For Christ himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Who has made the two. And here's talking about the racial division between Jews and Gentiles. He says he has made the two one. Note that. Hasn't just said, I, I helped them get along. He's made them one. That's why Paul says that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Really, the distinction is gone. He's destroyed the barrier, he's made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulation. His purpose was to create in himself one new man. One new race out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, all human beings, have access to the Father by one spirit. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the presence of God that is here today. Lord, in the worship and, and uh, with the youth band, your presence is here uh, in a tangible way. I pray, Lord God, that that presence would continue and linger in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, that um, your word could go forth in power and anointing and do all that you want uh, to do to make us your kingdom people, Lord God, to build this body in the direction you want to build this body. Be glorified, Lord. Be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let me back into this text this way. I actually won't get to the text itself until the very end. Um, but I have been, in fact, the board has been, in fact, the pastoral staff has been, in fact, we've asked a lot of people to have been, uh, thinking about a slogan for our church. Every church has a slogan. The slogan is, is sort of like the, the center of the centers. What, what do you stand for? What is the common denominator of everything that you do? What are you about? And so we've been looking for a slogan. We've tried on a couple, and they just haven't fit. We wanted the slogan to be a warfare slogan because a central part of what we're, we're about is, is warfare, to get believers to see themselves as being involved in spiritual warfare and uh, seeing the world as a war zone. And uh, we believe that, that the world is, is, in fact, caught in war and working the people stationed at enemy lines who are commissioned to topple down the enemy's empire and to spread the kingdom of God. Um, but here's the trouble. A slogan needs to communicate to everybody, both inside and outside the church, uh, what you're about. And all the warfare slogans sound scary to people on the outside. You know, uh, uh, kicking the devil's behind. Uh, it just isn't going to land. Um, how about, you know, uh, you know, loving Jesus and warring against the enemy? And you see, to have outsiders, that's like, ooh, these sound like hostile people. Uh, come into our neighborhood and create war. Uh, and... So we've tried on a lot of different, you know, uh, 
it's driving me nuts. Uh, the, last, the last year, really, we've been uh, dealing with this, and nothing fits. You think you have something, and we talk it about it, and it's like, no, nah, that won't land either. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with, meeting with our architect. Uh, and we, are, we have been, I think, a pain in the neck to this architect. Uh, this poor guy, or these poor guys, um, they, they, they want to, you know, they're, they're, they're designing this building, and they're saying, we want the building to communicate who you are. And, and so we need to structure it this way and do this, that, and the other thing. And the problem is that we keep on saying, well, the building will communicate who we are by what it doesn't have, not by what it does have. Okay? Uh, we, 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 we intentionally want to confront uh, some American values uh, and, and make the statement that uh, uh, financial resources are to be used for people, not for extravagance on a building. And that doesn't give an architect a whole lot to work with. Amen. Well, yeah, you can clap, but if you were the architect, it's like, well, what do you do? And he was saying, you've got to somehow break up that boring building, that box that's sitting there. It's ugly. It doesn't do anything. There's no movement in it. And I said, well, buildings don't move. <laughs> Mr. You know, designer that I am. But uh, I understand what, what, what they're trying to do. And they propose different things, and I'm always asking the question, well, you know, if you want to have this, this little symbol here, uh, what does that cost, and how else, I have to answer this question, is there something else that we could have used that money for that would have actually done something other than look, look, look pretty? We want a nice building, but we don't want to be spending money uh, on extravagance. So uh, it, it's been, you know, we've been frustrating to work with. Well, I met with this architect this, the, the other day, or a couple weeks ago, and uh, he had, I think it was just ingenious. Uh, he had some things that broke up the, the top of the building, so there was some movement. You knew where the center was and whatnot, but they were all functional. They all did something, uh, which was really nice. It was really good. Now, the, the, the thing that really got me was this. Uh, as he's discussing this, this design, he says, now, I want the building to communicate who you are, and it seems to me uh, that, that you, you guys like to kind of be rough around the edges. You like to be unconventional. Uh, you don't like to fit in the boxes, so... How about in, in the front of this window, you have to have a window, right? You, you do want a window here. Um, and so you, you, the window kind of is inviting. It, it, it lets people see on the inside of this church, this major window up front. But instead of having a boxed window like everyone expects, on one of the windows he had like a, a, a wall. Uh, that was, it was kind of like a stair, a picture of a stair coming down, but it was like a broken wall. And he said, because it seems to me that you guys, intent, you know, you're doing this on purpose, and you want people to know that you're doing this on purpose. You could have had a nice box window, uh, but instead you wanted a window that, that kind of comes down in this, what I think is really kind of a uh, postmodern-esque sort of artsy thing. It, it, it's cool. It looks cool. And he said, because you guys are about, you know, not, not being in the box, and, and you're about tearing down walls. Uh, it seems to me you guys are about tearing down walls. And he's been sitting in the service kind of just picking this up. And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, I like that. <laughs> that I like. And it doesn't cost anything, okay? That's what I really like about it. And then we can break down a wall. Uh, and it looks really cool. But I began to think about this idea. It, it, so you want a slogan to be sort of an obvious statement about who you are. And I started thinking, why didn't we think of that? Uh, tearing down the walls. Tearing down the walls. And so I came back and I started, you know, shooting with the other pastors and on the board and with everybody, and everyone's saying, yeah, there you go, tearing down the walls. Uh, it's a way of saying that you're about warfare without, without uh, uh, you know, being explicit about, you know, attacking the enemy to people on the outside who don't know that there is an enemy. 
tearing down the walls communicates something to everybody. It means something to a host of things to people on the inside who maybe doesn't mean to the things on the outside, but it communicates something to the outside. And it seems to me that everything we are about, if you think about it, is about tearing down walls. Amen? Are you following me on this? Let me... Yeah. So I, I want to run through our core, values, uh, our core values and just ask the question, what is the wall that we're up against here? Okay, we've got seven core, core values. Uh, we want to be scriptural. We want to be passionate. We want to be real. We want to be in ministry. We want to be in warfare. And uh, we want to be uh, in community. And we want to be uniting the, the church. We want, we, we, want to, we want to be a team player. So think about this. We want to be scriptural. We've already talked about that last week. Our belief is that everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we're about has got to be grounded in the Word of God. The Word of God is our sole authority for the things of God, for information about God, for who we are in God and whatnot. Scripture is our our one foundation. But there's a wall there, isn't there? It means this, that we want to come against this wall. Picture this wall here. I wish it was one of these mind people who, you know, could just... There's a wall there. Oh, I'm kind of getting good at this. There's a wall. It means we have to come against everything in our life. What we want to be about is coming against everything in our life, everything in our heart, everything in our families, everything in our neighborhood, everything in the church that is inconsistent with the Word of God. Everything that says no to the truth of God, we want to tear down. Amen? Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5. through I'll quote it for you. It's one of my favorite verses. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual. To the tearing down of strongholds. What are strongholds? They're little enemy fortresses that are set up. Little, little domains in, in our life or wherever. The tearing down of strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual. To the tearing down of strongholds. Whereby we come against, bash that wall down. We come against everything. Every thought and every imagination, every line of reasoning, he says, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Where do we get the knowledge of God? It's in the Word of God. And we bring captive every thought to Jesus Christ. Praise God. So what we want to be about, to believe in Scripture, in fact, to believe in anything for the kingdom of God, means that you're declaring war in that area against the kingdom of Satan. There's a wall that you're always up against. So we want to come against everything in our mind, in our heart, in our life, that is inconsistent with the Word of God. Every lie that we hold, every memory that we have, every scar that we have, every way, any way that we live as though the Word of God is not true, it's a wall that keeps us from moving into the full victory that Christ died for us to have, and we want to be about tearing it down. Secondly, we're about being real. We talked about that several weeks ago. We're real people loving a real Lord, living under real grace, experiencing real transformation. We want to put a premium on having an environment where, uh, where people can be honest, where people can be themselves, uh, and avoid anything that causes people... We, we want to be about uh, uh, saying that how things are is more important than how things look. But there's a wall there, isn't there? There's a wall. Uh, there's a wall of religious pretentiousness. There's a wall of religious performance. There's a wall of religious propriety that is there. There's a, law, a, 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 a wall of, of legalism and judgmentalism that stands up against that. There's a wall of fear that stands up against that. And what we want to be about is this. Everything. Everything that, that keeps us from being real. Everything that keeps us from being authentic. Everything that keeps us from being honestly related to one another and to God. Everything that would say that you get points for having it together and you get points detracted for not having it together. All those walls, praise God, in Jesus' name and on the power of God, we want to tear them down. That's what we want to be about, tearing down those walls. 
We want to be about passion. Thirdly, our belief is that, that uh, if it's worth doing for the kingdom of God, it's uh, worth doing passionately. It just doesn't make any sense at all to me that people get more excited about the stock market than they do about the kingdom of God. Uh, people get more excited, if you can believe this, over winning a stupid $50 million lottery. They get more excited about that than they do about going to heaven. Does that make any sense to you? People get more worked up at a football game than they do in, in a worship service. That, you know, that just does not make any sense. I don't care how much you love football. Um, the, the truth is this. I mean, the kingdom of God is about eternity. This stuff is about a moment in time. What should you be more passionate about? And our conviction is that, every, that passion is the norm in the Christian life. But there's a wall there. See it? There's a wall there. It's a big one. It's a wall, it's a wall of, of uh, status quo Christianity. It's a wall of Christian normalcy up here in the sedate Midwest. Uh, you know, it's, it's a wall of, 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 of fearing fanaticism. All right? it, it's a wall of, of pew-sitting, sedentary, vanilla, mishmash, potato, do-nothing kind of cultural Christianity, and we want to tear it down. What we're about is tearing down. Yeah. Amen. Everything in your life that keeps you from living life passionately, we want to tear down. Everything in your life that keeps you from, from the zeal of God, everything that keeps you from being totally abandoned and, and uninhibited in worship and selling out, everything that keeps you locked in, every lie that keeps you uh, from living life with a, the full kind of zeal and passion and enthusiasm and dynamism that God would have you to live, we want to tear down. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He wants you to have abundant life, passionate life, zealous life, joyful life, and everything that sets itself up against that, that keeps you walled in, boxed in. The mediocrity, the fear, the depression, or whatever it is, what we want to be about is tearing down that wall. So you get unleashed, you get freed, like the, like, like, like the youth saying about, Lord, free me to dance like a child again. To live life to the fullest, to worship you to the fullest, to love you to the fullest, and to do the ministry that you've called me to do to the fullest. That wall, everything that keeps us from that, we want to be about tearing it down. We're, first, we're, 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 uh, we're scriptural, real, passionate. And the fourth one is, we want, our belief is that everybody is a minister. And, and God has gifted everybody to be involved in ministry. Now, there's a wall there. We believe that when Jesus saves you, He doesn't just saves you, He gives you a vocation, a job description. Uh, he gifts you to do that. But there's some walls there. The wall is a wall that says uh, that, you know what, I, I, I have no gift. That's a wall. A wall that says, no, you know, doing ministry is the pastor's job. Talked about that last week. Uh, it's the job of the professional laity. There's a wall that says my prayers don't count as much as the, re- the, the reverence prayers count. And I have nothing but to contribute to the kingdom of God. And so I'm just going to attend here and I'm just going to, you know, live my life as, as, as a normal person. Go back to the one we just talked about here. Uh, those, those are walls. Those are lies. And we want to be about tearing them down. Uh, to get people to realize that you are a minister of the gospel before you are anything else. Every believer is a minister of the gospel. A royal priesthood, the Bible says, before you are anything else. There's also uh, other kinds of walls. We believe that leadership is gift-based. We talked about that. Leadership is gift-based. Nothing else. It's not based on education. It's not based on, on your position. Education can help, but it doesn't give the gift. Those are walls. Those are presuppositions, conclusions that people have that keep them from ministry. There's also an, another big wall that we talked about. The wall that says if you're a woman, 
there are there's certain areas you cannot go. Or you can do, you know, this little, you know, ministry here and this ministry here. But when it comes to preaching, boom. When it comes to pastoring, boom. I'm getting good at this mime stuff. When it comes to being a senior pastor, boom, there's a wall. It comes right out of the first century when women were not allowed to be educated, when they had roughly the same status as, as, as slaves had. Shared by a lot of cultures, there's walls there that say, no matter how you're gifted, no matter how God has equipped, equipped you, no matter what you do, uh, you can't go in that area. And what we want to be about is saying that is a wall and it doesn't come from God. It comes from the enemy. It comes from people. And we want to be about tearing it down. We want to be about saying, women, if God has gifted you to preach, then you've got to move into preaching. If God has gifted you for, for, for pastoring, then you've got to move into pastoring. In fact, there may be women who are called to be a senior pastor. I, I, and I say that like it's the exception. But it shouldn't be. If God calls you to be a senior pastor, then you have to start moving in that direction. But for a lot of women, those walls are so deeply ingrained, they never even consider the possibility of that. We want to, in Jesus' name, be saying, you know what? In Christ, there's neither male nor female. And however God has equipped you, however God has, 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 has blessed you, however God has called you, you have to move in that area. And we want to be about encouraging you to do that. And any wall that says no to that, we want to just be tearing it down. Be setting the captives free. Amen. Amen. The fifth area. And it... That was all by way of review. Now I'm going to preach. The fifth area has to do with community. We believe that the body of Christ is supposed to be a community. And that all believers... I'm never going to wear a sweater again. It's so hot in these sweaters. I'm getting dehydrated preaching up here. But it looks nice though, doesn't it? It looks very nice. But I'm suffering. And so how... Remember, how things are is more important than how they appear. <laughs> so if I'm comfortable in a tank top, you're going to watch a tank top. So the... Community. You see, a little background here. God's goal in creation. It's a foundational principle that we stand for. God's goal in creation. He's a triune God who is love. He created the world to express that love and to invite others in on that love. And His goal has always been for that triune love that He is throughout eternity to be replicated in his relationship to us, in our relationship to him, and in our relationship with one another. That's why in Genesis, when it says he made them in the image of God, he said that he made them male and female. Raising up the marriage relationship is sort of the epitome of how we live out our image of Godness. In other words, we are in the image of God when we are related to one another. And God created us so that we would be doing that, that love uh, would, 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 would connect us. I tried to get another wood in that sentence, but it didn't, didn't come out. Um, but see, sin, sin entered the world, and wherever there's sin, there are walls. And so you see, right, right from the get-go, Adam and Eve, when they sin, there's a wall between them. They now experience shame in front of one another. Cain and Abel, there's a wall between them. When sin enters the world, there's walls that are put up. So um, Cain ends up murdering Abel. In Genesis 10, we find with the Tower of Babel, sin ends up dividing people. And that's where the origin of racial divisions first comes about. Sin is always about dividing people, isolating people. Because the enemy knows that God's plan is for us to be reflecting His love in our relationships with one another, and so He wants to put a stop to it. Jesus entered into this world in order to destroy all the effects of the fall. He entered this world in order to, by His death, tear down those walls. And that's what, we, that's what we confront in Ephesians chapter 2. Through his life, through the way he lived, and especially through his death, 
and through His resurrection, He wants to be restoring to the world the ideal that God originally had for it. He wants to be restoring community. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 here, where this is the part that we read last week, that the church is like a building. Think of it like a building. And that we're, we're, it's built brick upon brick. We're joined together. You can't have a building if the bricks won't ever get together. Church is called to be the building of God, which means we've got to get together. We've got to be a community. There needs to be people in your life that know you, that you're related to, that love you, that minister to you, and, that, and, and among whom you minister. That's the body of Christ. That's how the body of Christ grows. And so we find in the early church in the book of Acts, all of the Christians got together in each other's household. They shared things in common. They were with one another. They were for one another. The Bible gives us 57 one another's that we're supposed to be doing. Love one another. Be kind to one another. Be hospitable to one another. Minister to one another. Serve one another. And on and on and on. How do you do that if you never get together? If you don't have people involved in your life? How do you minister? How, how do you use your gifts if that doesn't happen? We believe that this is a non-negotiable for Christianity. We're meant to do this. It's not a peripheral thing, an occasional thing, a baby thing. It's what all Christians are called to do, and it's at the center of what the New Testament is all about. Let me tell you a little bit about my, my small group. I've never really shared much about my own small group, but see, I, I'm, a, I'm a Lone Ranger kind of a, a guy I, by nature. I, I, I like to do it alone. I don't have, a, you know, by nature, a lot of people needs. Um, early on in my marriage, if my wife didn't drag me to, you know, fellowship groups, I think I would have just been happy in my room reading a book. And so, I, you know, community was never a high priority in my life. In that respect, and see, here's the wall that we're up against. It's like, it's like normal American Christianity. Um, what we have is a culture of individuals, and this has crept into the church, and so you get a, a church of individuals where you come together, you do your thing, and you all leave, and you go to your own homes, and, and, and we never get to do one, the, the one another's with, with, with each other. And that's kind of how I was. The last four years I've been involved in a small group. Uh, and it changes here and there. You know, p- people come in and people go out. We've had a, a core of, of three or four couples, and we live life together. We're doing the New Testament kind of a thing. And I have found that, that it has uh, uh, just so impacted my life. Uh, I've learned so much about myself and about the Lord and about love by being involved in this group. Um, we get together every Friday night. Every other Friday night, we study the Bible or study a, a, a book. We're right now studying um, uh, Ron Sider's Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. And, uh, man, it's challenging us. In fact, I'll be preaching out of that book here in the next couple of weeks. And it's just challenging us. But you know what's really cool? It's not scary because there's other people uh, 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 with you. You're doing it together. You're talking it out together. You're confronting issues together. And it's a bonding kind of a thing. Um, we... we uh, we do that every other week, and then on the off weeks, we usually go out to a movie or, or dancing or some kind of party, and we just kind of share life together. When someone needs someone to take care of their kids, we're there, and we're going to pool our resources, and you're not, you're not going to miss a beat on this. And we did it. This is what I think the, the, the Bible means when it says they had all things in common. When one person had need, the others were there for them. But how would you ever know that on Sunday morning like this? You don't know who's on strike and who's not. You don't know who's in, in need and who's not. Uh, it's just impossible to be doing the one another's on Sunday morning. There needs to be a group that, that knows you, that's in on it, that knows your birthday, that visits you in the hospital, that ministers to you, that cares for you. We pray for one another. When one's sick, we're the ones that they call on, and we pray for them. We share life together. We also do ministry together. We, uh, um, uh, 
support these, some kids in Haiti, and we pool our resources to do that. We're right now in the process of, of taking on a family that's in really desperate shape, and we're going we're gonna to pool our resources and be helping that family. There's another ministry that we're looking at, a possibility of getting involved in uh, the inner city, and uh, we're going to pool our resources to do this. And it is just, it is just kicking. It is just kicking. And our prayer at Woodland Hills Church is that every person would have people like that in their life. It takes time. We've been at this for four years. It takes time. Sometimes it doesn't work out. But I really want to encourage you to have that as a priority, to be involved with people in our job, and we've got several pastors who, who, are, who are about this, is to help you find those groups and to get plugged in. Uh, if that doesn't happen on its own, get plugged in that way. But see, the thing is this. I really believe, and now I'm beginning to experience for myself, that you'll never... You'll never develop as a believer to the extent that God wants you to develop as a believer if you're in isolation, if you're doing it alone. If my finger is cut off from my hand, it's not really part of the body. It can't, it, it, it's not getting the blood that it needs to function as a finger. It's a dismembered part of the body of Christ. Well, we are a body, and we've got to be joined together. Now, that the finger's joined to the hand more closely than it's joined to the torso. It'd be pretty weird if you had a finger coming out of the torso. So there's going to be people in the church that you know better than other people. That's normal. That's expected. But there's got to be that connectedness and that wall of individualism, that wall of isolationism, the wall that says, I don't need it and I don't want it. What we want to be about is tearing that wall down and getting people involved in community, people, getting people to love one another and do, do, do the one another's of the New Testament to one another. There's another major wall that this priority of community is against. And this is the one that Ephesians is most uh, explicitly talking about. The wall began in Genesis chapter 10. Uh, it is when uh, humanity tried to unite in order to rebel against God, and so God gave them different languages so they couldn't cooperate with one another. Those languages ended up separating. People separated by languages. They went to different parts of the earth. That They adapted to their environment. The natural diversity of the human race then got kind of isolated. And the result of that, in the flesh, people in the flesh who aren't getting their life from God look for anything that's distinctive about them to try to get life, to try to feel good about themselves, to try to feel better. And that was the origin of what we today call racism. And throughout history, we've seen people divided along racial lines. What we need to understand, and this is a, this is a, a, a primary value of Woodland Hills Church, is that that ought never to be. It was never meant to be, and Jesus Christ died so it wouldn't be any longer. Praise God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, that when Jesus Christ died, one of the things he died for, now note this, this, this is part of the reason why he died, it's there in Ephesians 2, is that he might bring together the two main racial divides that Paul's looking at in his day are the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus Christ died not just to get them together, but to abolish the distinction, amen? Jesus Christ died to create literally now, I'm not talking metaphorically, I'm talking literally, to create a new race of people. That's why the Bible calls him a, the new Adam, the new figurehead of a new race. And now all believers, all regenerate people, all born-again people, all spirit-indwelled people, literally belong to a new tribe. They literally belong to a new race. And all the distinctions that there might be among us, whether it's the, you know, the different colors of hair that we have, the different colors of eye that we have, and even the different colors of skin that we have, and the different cultures we come from, the different ways that we talk, and the, the different styles that we have or whatnot, all those distinctions next to the thing that we have in common in Christ are rendered inconsequential, and then the church must be considered inconsequential. We're one race of people, amen? One race. Jesus Christ created us a new race and made us all one. We believe that if Jesus died to do it, we have got to manifest it. 
Jesus died to give us victory over the devil, we've got to preach victory over the devil. Jesus died to uh, free us from sin, we've got to preach freedom from sin. Jesus died to reconcile us to God, we've got to preach reconciliation to God. Jesus died uh, for, for our healing from physical diseases, we've got to preach uh, healing from physical diseases. And Jesus died to abolish racism, we've got to preach and work to manifesting the end of racism. A lot of us think, amen. Amen. Give God praise. Amen. Now, there's a wall there, folks. And this is a big wall. Sometimes up here in the north, we think that there's, you know, it's a little wall. We think that racism is about uh, somebody, some crazies dragging somebody behind a truck to his death. And there are little occasional things. But what I've learned here is that this wall is way bigger than I ever thought it was. Uh, it, it's just that around here in Minnesota Nice, it's way beneath the surface. But there's such tremendous mistrust, tremendous hostility, tremendous judgmentalism going on. Um, it's, a, it's a wall, folks. It's, it, it's a wall that's there. Why is it? And it's in our, it's in our society. There's very little, there's very little uh, fellowship going on between the races. And the church, sadly, is no different. 98% of the churches are 98% homogenous. And I used to think that you could end that just by saying you want to end that. But you know what? This wall is bigger than I thought. Uh, it's, it's bigger than I thought. But what I know is this. Uh, this is a central part of what we want to be about, is that that wall has got to come down. The wall has got to come down. Praise God. Um, and uh, it, it's got to end. I, I, our heart is uh, to, to see Woodland Hills Church five years from now far more diverse than it is now. Uh, and we're not going to feel bad about being who we are, but so long as we are doing everything we can do to move in that direction, everything we can do to move in that direction. One of the things that excites me about this Kmart property is that the neighborhood, you take a pole of a two-mile radius around, the, around this building, it is incredibly diverse, very mixed. And to me, that is a good thing because the church needs to, de- to be displaying everything Jesus died for the body to have. And this wall has got to come down. One of the things we've just uh, decided... If, can I call the band up, the, the worship team up? Norm, can you get the worship team up here? I want to end with a proclamation. Um, one of the things that we have just recently uh, decided on is, is this. Realizing that, um, uh, realizing that uh, uh, this wall is, is more formidable than we thought. It takes some intentional strategizing in the power of God to take it down. And so the board has decided that one of the top priorities for this next year is to be consulting with uh, uh, people who specialize in racial reconciliation to be asking the question, how can we move in this direction? How can we move in this direction and bring them on? We're going to need all the wisdom we can have. We're going to need the hearts of people to change. But most importantly, you guys, we need the Lord God to be moving in our midst. Praise God. Uh, This wall is, if we could have thought our way through this wall, it would have been thought through, right? We'd have an opening right here. This is something that we're going to need the power. Oh, praise God. I didn't know you you had the kids doing this. Praise God. Um, This is a wall, you guys, that we have got to be intentionally praying against, coming against, uh, in the power of God and on the authority of His Word. Uh, To be praying, God, make us a people who have a heart for people of different colors and people of different cultures, Lord God. Uh, Bring, Lord God, make this a body where people of all different backgrounds begin to feel welcome. Praise God. Lord God, be manifesting the reality that in you we are one race. We are together. We're on the same team. We're citizens of the same kingdom, Lord God. Make this body a body of people where that is true. So what we want to do here is to close with a proclamation. And I want it to to be a prayer, you guys. Let the walls fall down. Praise God.
let the walls fall down. And I would like us, with everything that is within us, to sing this as a prayer. God, make it happen. Let the walls fall down, Lord God. Let the reality of the one race, the one kingdom you're bringing here together in this world, be manifested in our midst. Praise God. Let's stand. Stand. Be anointed, you guys.
Praise God. Praise God. Pray with me here. Father, uh, Lord, there's, there's just uh, walls that uh, pervade our lives and pervade our society, Lord. And they're bigger than what we can possibly uh, do. But Lord, we look to you as our sufficiency and our strength. And ask, Lord God, that in our lives individually and, uh, and for us as a church body, God, that, that you'd, you'd just tear down these walls, Lord God. Unleash the captives, Lord God. Free the people. Unite the people, Lord God. And let it be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.